0: Stand by, your meeting is about to begin. Good morning ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the BCE Q3 2020 results conference call. I would like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Fain Fotopoulos, please go ahead Mr. Fotopoulos.
1: Thank you Donna and good morning everyone. As usual, participating on the call today are uh, Mirko Bibic, uh, BC's President and CEO and our CFO Glenn LeBlanc. Before we begin, I want to draw your attention to our safe harbor statement, reminding listeners that the slide presentation and remarks made during the call today will include forward-looking information and, therefore, subject to risks and uncertainties. Results could differ materially. We disclaim any obligation to update forward-looking statements except as required by law. Please refer to the company's publicly filed documents for more details on assumptions and risks. And as always, our earnings materials are available on the Investor Relations webpage of the BCE website. So with that, Marco, over to you. Thank you, Thane, and good morning, everyone.
2: Our focus in Q3 was all about building momentum back into the business. And although the effects of COVID are still obviously present, I'm very pleased with our progress to date as we experienced a notable improvement in our operating performance this quarter due to the success of our broadband strategy, the reopening of retail stores, the step up in economic activity, the return of live sports programming, and overall disciplined execution in a competitive market. This contributed to stronger financial results across all Bell operating segments in Q3 compared to the previous quarter. We continue to grow broadband market share. We delivered 210,000 total net wireless, retail internet, and IPTV customer additions in Q3. And consistent with our focus on profitable wireless subscriber growth, we added 128,000 new net postpaid and prepaid customers this quarter comprise entirely of mobile smartphone subscriptions. And we delivered very strong wireline subscriber results with an industry-leading combined 82,000 retail internet and IPTV net ads. We also generated over $1 billion of free cash flow this quarter, bringing year-to-date cash generation to more than $3.25 billion, 14% higher than last year. We expect free cash flow to moderate in Q4, as we further step up capital spending and as accounts receivable and inventory levels grow with an increase in sales activity. This contributed to maintaining a very healthy liquidity position of $5.2 billion at the end of Q3, which does not include the approximate $940 million in net cash proceeds received from the recently concluded sale of Bell Bell data centers to Equinox. I'll turn over to slide four of our presentation. Slide 4 provides a quick update on the continued progress we're making on advancing our strategic imperatives. In Q3, we equipped 140,000 new locations with direct fibre, bringing the coverage level to 56% of our total high-speed broadband footprint. This is enabling more and more Canadians to access the fastest internet speeds in the market today of 1.5 gigabits per second and to benefit from the related customer experience enhancement that fibre brings. We remain very enthusiastic about fiber and the resulting significant financial and subscriber growth and the customer experience benefits the strategy delivers. The broadband footprint advantage that we are building with the fastest fiber internet and wireless home internet speeds in the market today positions us extremely well in both our consumer and business segments over the long term to grow internet revenue, which in Q3 grew a strong 10%. We also announced a further acceleration in our wireless home internet build-out that will approach 50% of our target footprint by the end of the year with the addition of another 80,000 homes in rural Canada. We also now expect to cover more than 350,000 rural rural homes, up from 300,000 previously, with enhanced 50 megabit download and 10 megabit upload speeds by year-end. These latest announcements build on several other initiatives this year including the special project that brought wireless home internet to 137,000 more rural locations than expected in response to increased demand during the COVID crisis. Our announcement that we would double internet download speeds from 25 to 50 megs. The rollout to 200,000 rural households in Atlantic Canada which we, we recently announced, which will be built out over two years, and our plan to begin deployment in Manitoba next year. These investments are establishing the foundation for our continued success while immediately stepping up for Canadians everywhere across our operating territories in the face of COVID. I'll now turn to wireless. Just last month Canada's networks were recognized by OpenSignal as being the fastest in the world. In fact, the average 4G LTE download speeds were not only faster than the network speeds of the top carriers in the US but also significantly outpaced the second fastest country in the world, South Korea, on their fully-fledged 5G network. To put these results into perspective, the global average for download speed experience across all operators analyzed was just above 22 megabits per second, while the same speeds for Canada's big three national wireless operators were more than two to three times faster than the global average. This is the clear outcome. Of supportive facilities-based government and regulatory policies. Bell's 5G network continues to rapidly expand and is Canada's fastest. We provide download speeds up to 1.7 gigabits per second and our footprint will continue to grow into 2021 and beyond as true standalone 5G networks are deployed using mid-band 3500 megahertz spectrum. It's still early days And the full benefits of 5G technology won't be realized until more spectrum and new applications become available, but data usage among early 5G device users is twice as high as non-5G subscribers, with monthly recurring revenue that is nearly 20% higher. On customer experience, which is also one of our key strategic imperatives, we're making significant progress with fewer CCTS complaints by Bell customers, improved digital functionality, and self-serve capabilities. Our most recent initiative is Move Valet. This is a new concierge service for customers in Quebec and Ontario who are moving homes to transfer their Bell services seamlessly to their new residents. It's just another example of an initiative that puts customers front and center. We also remain keenly focused on making the online and app-based sales experience easier for consumers. Directly as a result of our investments to improve digital functionality, 56% of all customer service transactions were executed online in Q3 up from 50 percent just last quarter. Another initiative we're working on to deliver ever better customer experience is full self-install which we launched in October for homes connected with direct fiber. The important point here is that as we deploy more fiber in our network and as more homes are connected with fiber we have the ability to offer full self-install to a larger customer base we'll only have to connect a modem to a fiber jack and power supply. This will drive a step function improvement in customer satisfaction and deliver cost savings. So, you know, we're really pleased with the company-wide focus on championing the customer experience. I'm going to turn now to slide five, give you a quick overview of some key operating metrics. Start first with wireless. Trends showed good sequential improvement in Q3 with stronger customer activity, including ongoing steady traction for digital channels, continued low churn, and an ABAPU decline that is moderating. Store traffic improved noticeably with the reopening of all our stores, and sales sales activity steadily picked up with each passing week as the level of competitive intensity and number of promotional offers increased. We added 133,000 new smartphone customers this quarter. Unlike some others in the market, basically our net ads this quarter did not include any mobile connected devices such as tablets. Here's the bottom line. We're focused on driving service revenue growth through accretive smartphone transactions. And despite a more muted back to school period because of COVID, postpaid mobile smartphone ads in Q3 were very good and largely similar to last year. Also supporting our 88,000 total postpaid net ads this quarter was lower customer churn which improved 8 basis points over last year to 1.04%. And in prepaid we added 41,000 new customers, another very good quarter which we believe led the industry once again. Blended APU decreased 6%. This result is a notable improvement over Q2 even as lower roaming volumes and data overage contraction from increased customer adoption of unlimited plans remained headwinds. In fact, these two factors accounted for approximately 80% of the APU decline this quarter. Now, Let me move to Bell Wireline. The need for fast and reliable internet connectivity, particularly in the current COVID environment, together with lower customer churn, drove strong broadband results. We delivered 63,000 internet net ads, That's 8% higher than last year. We believe this was industry-leading in Q3. We also added another 81,000 FTTH subscribers this quarter, bringing the total number of Direct Fiber customers to more than 1.6 million, and that's up 17% over last year. In TV, we added 19,000 net new IPTV subscribers, supported by our new app-based Virgin TV service, and significant customer churn improvement. All in all, a pretty solid result given, given a mature Canadian TV market and some ongoing pandemic-related constraints. We also continue to see strong progress with satellite TV and home phone customer losses which improved 29% and 24% respectively as Canadians continue to stay and work from home during the pandemic. And certainly anytime the rates have declined slow for these high-margin services That's important to us from a cash flow perspective. So despite ongoing COVID impacts on customer activity, really was a strong quarter from an RGU perspective with positive total retail net ads in our wireline footprint of 16,000. That's an increase of 22,000 over last year. In fact, it's only the second quarter in the past five years where we've achieved positive wireline retail net ads including NAS and satellite TV. I'll turn now to Bell Media. TV advertising demand picked up in several key categories, especially with the return of live sports and increased spending by advertisers. Radio and out-of-home advertising have been slower to rebound. On radio radio listenership, it's declined during the pandemic and and some key out-of-home advertising faces as well, such as restaurants, airports, those have been severely impacted by lockdown measures, but we're seeing momentum return to outdoor categories such as street furniture and billboards. On the subscriber front, TSN and RDS have remained largely stable, particularly with live sports coming back in Q3, as have subscribers across all Bell Media TV properties since the COVID situation began. TSN remains the number one ranked sports channel for the latest broadcast year that just ended on August 31st, and year-to-date RDS viewership has outpaced our largest French language competitor by 32%. On Crave, it continued to deliver With strong direct-to-consumer growth, 3% year-over-year increase in total subscribers for Crave. Overall, these subscriber results speak to the quality and depth of our programming, which is frankly second to none in the marketplace. And a couple of other items in the quarter that I wanted to mention uh, regarding media. To coincide with the fall season of new TV programming, Bell Media launched a new all-in-one digital video streaming platform for for CTV content, essentially a CTV AVOD service. So now viewers can access all live and on-demand CTV content at no additional cost, directly from ctv.ca and the CTV app on mobile and smart TVs and other connected devices. So it's a single hub, it offers advertisers a compelling way to reach our digital audiences and an easy way for viewers to watch our content. It's 100% ad supported and it was built using the same technology that powers crave. And at the end of August, Bell Media rebranded our newly acquired French language conventional TV network V, the new brand is Nouveau. Our goal is to make Nouveau a broader and fully integrated conventional TV destination with multiple points of contact for video content. We're already seeing results from that strategy with significant gains in primetime viewership and ad sales this fall season and that's expected to continue this broadcast year. So I'm going to turn it over to Glenn in just a moment. But before I do, I want to emphasize the following. Q3 was all about building momentum back into the business and delivering the consistent results we said we would deliver. Despite COVID, we continue to push forward with the deployment of high-speed broadband fiber, wireless home internet in Canada's underserved rural communities, and mobile 5G technology. We're keeping our eyes fixed firmly on the long term. At the same time, we're maintaining operational excellence in the short term to steer us through the pandemic recovery period and to generate even greater momentum with each successive quarter. We're competitively well-positioned to succeed with significant liquidity and the financial flexibility to drive both our national investment strategy and BC's common share dividend, which we just announced this morning for Q4. And on that, let me turn it over to Glenn.
3: Thank you, Mirko, and good morning, everyone. With the easing of COVID restrictions beginning in the latter stages of Q2, consumer and commercial activity gradually picked up, gaining steady momentum throughout the summer. Despite the continued effects of COVID, all Bell operating segments delivered better performance trajectories with improved year-over-year revenue and EBITDA declines in Q3 that contributed to strong ongoing free cash flow generation. Consolidated revenue was down 2.6% year-over-year, which translated into a 4.4% decline in adjusted EBITDA. We estimate that the total incremental COVID-related costs in the quarter to have been approximately $40 million, down from $85 million last quarter. Excluding these direct COVID-related costs, our consolidated EBITDA margin was stable year-over-year. Net earnings for Q3 were down 19.7%. This was a result of lower year-over-year EBITDA and a non-cash net mark-to-market equity derivative loss resulting from the decrease in BCE share price this quarter compared to a gain last year. We invested over $1 billion in CapEx in Q3. This represents a notable step up in spending from last quarter, reflecting both the seasonal increase in construction activity during the summer months and the resumption of usual business operations following a slower pace of spending during the initial stages of covid when certain projects could not be executed. We expect capital expenditures to ramp up further in Q4. Despite softer year-over-year earnings, we generated over $1 billion of free cash flow this quarter, even with lower EBITDA flow-through and higher cash taxes, which were expected. Let's turn over to slide eight on wireless financials. Q3 marked the return to positive revenue growth for Bell Wireless. As the year over year decline in service revenue improved sequentially and product sales rebounded with a pickup in retail sales activity. Service revenue is down 4.3% year over year, the result of COVID related impacts primarily from an approximate 70% decline in roaming due to global travel restrictions, as well as lower data overage driven mainly by customer rate plan optimization and ongoing adoption of unlimited plans. On a year-over-year basis, lower roaming volumes and data overage accounted for more than the entire decline in service revenues this quarter, and are expected to remain headwinds for the foreseeable future. Product revenue was up 11.9% year-over-year, benefiting from a mixed shift away from tablets to higher-value devices, as well as stronger year-over-year consumer electronic sales at the source, driven by the increased online shopping during the pandemic. Consistent with the year-over-year loss of high-margin roaming and overage revenue, EBITDA was down 4.4%. In Q3, a significant improvement from the 9% decline we reported last quarter. Let's uh, flip over to slide 9 on wireline financials. Total revenue was down 0.8% versus last year, a slight improvement over the previous quarter, which speaks to the resiliency of our wireline operations and the strong demand for our leading connectivity service in the current COVID environment. Residential wireline growth in Q3 was positive. This result was driven by a strong 10% year-over-year increase in Internet revenue combined with an improved rate of voice decline as fewer customers disconnect home phone services during the pandemic. In in business wireline, while results this quarter reflected slower customer spending on business service solutions and data equipment, which declined 5% and 10% respectively in the quarter. Overall performance continued to hold up well despite COVID. And although small business in certain industries have been hit really hard, closures and bankruptcies have been better so far than we feared. Wireline EBITDA decreased 1.6%. This represents a notable sequential quarterly improvement as operating costs were stable year over year, despite the COVID related cost impacts I referenced earlier which included a modest increase in our bad debt expense provision to reflect the increased risk environment, particularly in the SME segment. Let's flip over to slide 10 on media financials, a much better quarter for Bell Media as advertising demands improved across all media platforms with the resumption of live sports programming and gradually the gradual reopening of the economy. This resulted in a smaller year-over-year decline, a revenue decline of 16% compared to 31 last quarter. Advertising revenue decreased 22% in Q3, a significant recovery from the 51% decline we saw in Q2, with the biggest improvements coming in TV, most notably sports, entertainment, and news. Operating costs were down 14% over last year, driven in large part by the lower cost of revenue because of TV production shutdowns and delays as well as the elimination of discretionary spending. This contributed to a sequential improvement in EBITDA, which declined 21% year over year. Adjusted EPS on slide 11 provides our usual walkdown of the key components of adjusted EPS, which was $0.79 per share in Q3, down $0.12 versus last year. Lower EBITDA drove three-quarters of this decline, while the remaining amount could be attributed to a combined impact of higher depreciation expense due to the growth of our capital asset base and lower year-over-year tax adjustments. Over on slide 12 on free cash flow, as I mentioned earlier, we generated over a billion of free cash flow in the quarter, down 11.5% over last year. As Mirko said, this brought year-to-date cash generation to more than $3.25 billion, or 14% higher than last year, a very strong result that was achieved despite a significant COVID-driven decline in EBITDA and without cutting back on critical capital investments. This quarter's results also reflected an expected increase in cash taxes due to the deferral of corporate income tax installment payments from the first half of the year into the second half, as well as higher interest paid due to mainly to the timing of debt service payments on our MTN debentures. Working capital improvement we enjoyed in Q3 can be attributed to the timing of supplier payments, but will largely reverse out next quarter this, together with the buildup in new wireless handset inventory ahead of the busy holiday selling period, growth in accounts receivable as sales activity picks up further and accelerated capital spending will result in free cash flow drag in the coming quarter. Over on slide 13, maintaining our financial strength and flexibility is our key priority. BCE's liquidity position remains very strong at 5.2% billion in available cash at the end of September. Additionally, our balance sheet is well structured with long-term maturities and low interest interest rates on our outstanding debt. Our debt leverage ratio also remains manageable at 2.9 times adjusted EBITDA with no expected improvements in the foreseeable future given the number of wireless spectrum auctions on the horizon. We also recently strengthened our liquidity position by raising an additional $750 million of seven-year funds at an effective yield of only 1.65%. Proceeds of this MTN issue were used to early redeem higher-cost public debenture debt. More importantly, we have no near-term financing requirements as our next material public debt maturity does not occur until Q4 of 22. Lastly, Bell Canada's defined benefit pension plan continues to remain fully funded despite the unfavorable impact of lower discount rates. This speaks volumes to the success of the actions we have taken over the many years to secure the financial position of all of our plans. That does it for my formal remarks on the quarter. I would like to turn it But we'll back over to Thane and the operator to begin questions.
1: Great. Thanks, Glenn. So before we start the Q&A, in in an effort to make the call as efficient as possible, as always, please limit yourselves to one question, one brief follow-up if you must, so we can get to everybody in the queue in the time we have left. So thanks for your cooperation in advance. Uh, Donna, we are ready to begin with our first question.
0: Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star one on your device's keypad. If you wish to cancel the question, please press the pound sign. Please press star one at this time. If you have a question, there'll be a brief pause while participants register. Thank you for your patience. And the first question is from Jeff Fan from Scotiabank. Please go ahead.
4: Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, I'll start with wireless. I'm wondering if you guys can help characterize um, the wireless competitive environment that you saw during the back to school period and maybe a little bit of a prediction or outlook going into the holidays and into twenty one. Um I guess the the reason for the question is we've seen a lot more win back promos, lower rate plans. Wondering if uh that's just because of uh the reopening that we saw and with a smaller pool of subscribers. Is the Shaw Mobile in the West triggering some reactions? Is it competitors trying to make up lost ground? Just wondering if you can share some thoughts there. Thanks.
2: Thanks, Jeff. It's uh, it's Mirko here. Um, Yeah, on on, um, kind of pricing and promotions, um, you know, kind of spirit of your question, I'm not entirely surprised by what we saw in Q3, especially after, uh, you know, the close to absolute lockdown in in Q2. Um, Say, from our perspective, we didn't, you know, tend to to lead promotional activity. And I think that's pretty obvious. I mean, you go back to to even June, when we launched our 5G network and uh, and you know our attempt to to implement kind of a an additional charge for 5G connectivity that reflects the real value we're delivering with a premium 5G network. I mean that, you know, that that's evolving, but we, we we did try that. You can even see some of the early uh, price some price adjustments we made in early October. Again, trying to better reflect the value we're. Delivering overall with unlimited plans on, on premium networks. There's a lot of other examples, but uh, ultimately it is an incredibly competitive market. And I say, from, a, from the Bell perspective, here's the approach we take, and here are what kind of customers and shareholders are going to get from us. Number one, we'll always be competitive. Um, two, I mean, I emphasized this in my in my opening comments. We are focused on high-quality smartphone loadings. Because that's what drives service revenue growth, and you can see the very positive results of that strategy in our Q3 numbers. What we're doing is we're de emphasizing tablets. We're going to let you know, others chase that segment. We'll obviously play in, in the tablet segment when it's, when it's accretive, um, but, but otherwise, our focus is squarely on, on high quality loadings. And then back to your kind of question on. Some of the promotional I- intensity. We have got to take a, a, a step back a little bit. Now, with the move to installment plans, like what was the vision? We were, you know, the, the part of the vision is to deliver ultimate transparency for for the customer. You pay for your rate plan. You pay for your handset. There's a variety of handsets. You pick the one that delivers the features you want at the price that you want to pay. So when you have that 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 total transparency in that sense, and you're offering all kinds of, 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 of handsets just kind of don't understand why we would continue as an industry to continue engaging in, in deep dis- discounting of handsets like we like we used to and we put a lot of effort into building the IT systems around installments we all put a lot of effort into changing the way we sell not naive I've said all along since installments were launched that there would be periods of time of the year where there would continue to be Intense promotional activity, but you know, I'm personally a little bit disappointed in the pace of subsidy reduction. I think we can do a whole lot better. Um, but hey, I mean, there was the, the the total lockdown in Q2. You asked about Black Friday and the holiday season. That that remains to be seen. You know, we're in the midst of a of a second wave, um, Jeff. Uh, you know, but but on the other hand, you've got the you know the iPhone that's just launched. Um, you know, our digital functionalities are so much better than than they were so we'll be ready however Black Friday turns out and however the holiday season turns out in terms of uh, sales activity we're ready to
4: capitalize uh, just a quick follow-up on the uh, on your comment about high quality loading um, is nice to see you disclose 130 thousand looks like phone ads or smartphone ads um, is this a number that you expect to you know, systematically report um, in your reporting to, to kind of exclude the tablets? And then just a quick clarification, um, your wireless home Internet ads, are those in your wireless ads or
2: are those in your wireline
4: Internet uh, ads?
2: Okay, so on the last one, the, uh, the wireless home Internet are in the Internet numbers. Uh, Glenn, over to you on, uh, on the tablets versus smartphone loadings
3: morning Jeff yeah look it's it's a logical approach especially as we shift increasingly to 5g and our focus as Merkel said is on high value subscriber loadings I you know I, I think it makes a, it makes a lot of sense to look at this reporting and I know you uh, know that one of our competitors has has uh, switched to this reporting and I'm seriously considering giving this uh, making the reporting change for next year so uh, stay tuned but it makes a lot of sense it's a logical approach Jeff Okay, thanks,
0: Glenn. Thank you. The next question is from Drew McReynolds from RBC. Please go ahead.
5: Yeah, thanks. Uh, Thanks very much. Good morning. Uh, Marco, you're clearly seeing the success of uh, an expanded fiber to the home footprint and you're keeping your foot on the gas here this year uh, and and really seeing some some pretty good uh, momentum. and that's whether it's RGUs or, or the 10% increase in internet revenues. When you know you're not going to give guidance um, you know, for 2021 or beyond, but thematically, uh, just your updated thoughts on accelerating that fiber to the home deployment as everyone's pretty eyes wide open of the momentum that you know I think the telcos are gaining on the cable codes with it. And just secondly, um, quickly on Bell Media, would like to get your updated thoughts on what was tabled uh, or will be tabled as proposed amendments to the broadcasting act, and just your initial thoughts on the impact there for bell media. Thank you
2: thanks, drew. Um, okay, first on the uh, on broadband so and re- reiterate uh, what I also said in my uh, at the end of my uh, opening comments, and we're we're got our eyes fixed firmly on the long term future, and the long term future is underpinned by our six strategic imperatives one of one of the key ones is building the best networks I mean we don't we don't veer from the strategy um, and we can see as you pointed out drew that uh, it's having a positive impact on our financials for wire, the wireline segment and clearly on our uh, on our operating metrics so it's it's significant. and I want as much fiber as possible in urban and suburban markets and frankly I want to connect as many, underserved homes in rural areas as we possibly can as fast as possible um, and you know when you're not going to get forward-looking guidance as he said but when you look ahead and right now and I hope it continues we have a favorable regulatory environment with with positive signals having been recently been sent by the federal government that you know facilities-based competition matters and investment in facilities matters. So when you put that all together, I think it's clearly a case to be made for accelerating the pace of rollout. I certainly want to do it. It's why in 2020, when COVID first hit us at the beginning of the year, we said, we are not scaling back on these strategic investments. We have to continue going. So not gonna, not gonna give guidance for 2021, but it's gonna continue to be a very important point of emphasis for us. And on, uh, on the regulatory, side with the, um, with the announcement on Tuesday, I, I, I'd say this, I, I, have to, I have to kind of tip of the hat to, the, to Minister Gilbou for, uh, for putting forward the amendments that, uh, that they did on, uh, on Tuesday, I think it was, and two really important points there, um, and, and they're points of principle, but they're really important. One is we do the recognition that there needs to be a level playing field in Canadian broadcasting as between our domestic players, large and small, and the you know, internet, global internet giants. Very, very important principle. We've been asking for the recognition of regulatory symmetry and level playing field for a long time. So, that's really important. The second, uh, the second one that I want to highlight is the recognition of the importance of local news. That's going to be built into the Broadcasting Act. Also very important. So those are two real positive steps. Again, tip of the hat to the government for that. However, what's really going to matter is uh, you know how all this, how, how these important principles are going to be implemented, because that's where the rubber hits the road, and that remains to be seen. Like what will the policy directions from the government look like to the CRTC, and how will the CRTC generally? Apply these principles is going to matter, and another thing that's really going to matter is we don't have time. Like we've got to move fast in implementing those principles. I mean, if we're still here debating how the principles are going to be implemented in two years, it'll that will be a shame. Uh, but good start. And a couple of other things. Other things that I'd like to see that were not reflected on Tuesday is we need to get going on sales tax imposition on the streaming services that are that are non-Canadian we just need to get going on that I can't understand why we're still talking about this and and the second point is piracy I think there needs to be a recognition that we need to stop piracy I can't believe that in late 2020 that would continue to be a controversial issue Uh, but look we're still working on it I'll stop there
0: okay thank you Marco. thank you the next question is from Vince Valentini from TD Securities please go ahead
6: Thank you very much. If I could try a clarification and, and then a question. Um, to clarify that you said 20% higher monthly recurring revenue for your, your 5G customers. Not many carriers are reporting that they're getting much of a price lift. C- can you just clarify, is that, does that mean an existing customer moves from 4G to 5G and suddenly starts paying you 20% more, or is there a little self-selection in there that the people moving to 5G, on average, were paying more than than uh, than the average base on four g so it's it's really just higher value higher usage customers
7: moving to 5
6: g initially is what what drives that math and and the question i I'll, I'll leave it with you uh, for a- after the clarification um, internet revenue up ten percent very impressive uh, but your subscribers are up four percent year over year so it imp- implies something going on with either the mix of your internet base or or net Pricing gains perhaps, can you try to break that down a little bit for us? Is it something to do with the movement to fiber to the home or, or fixed wireless access or is, is it actually just pricing uh, increases net over the past year? Thanks. So,
2: Vince, on, uh, on the first one, on 5G and wireless, it's, uh, it's an MRC issue. You know, monthly recurring charges uh, are, are driving uh, that, that growth that you're seeing. With the 5G uh, customer base, and on uh, on internet, it's a function of a number of things. Um, kind of the you know COVID, um, you know the COVID effect in terms of promotional intensity. Um, you know, really pricing reflecting the value that we are delivering to customers with with fiber networks. It's customers choosing higher plans with uh, higher speeds, given you know the working from home um, and staying at home more uh, that that's why you're seeing uh, that impact on the wireline side Vince
4: thank you
0: thank you the next question is from uh, David Barden from Bank of America please go ahead
1: hey guys thank you taking the question um I guess my question is relating to the ABPU um, situation could you elaborate a little bit on how much uh or what percentage are you through the overage um headwind uh on the business and then at the same time um from an overage standpoint you said it was down 70% year over year at what rate is that improving um and when do you think that these two kind of um headwinds start to abate thanks
2: I'll, uh, I'll start and then Glenn you can you can pick up uh, I'll start just first with a comment on the on the overage decline um, you know the the decline improved uh, in Q3 compared to Q2 and again I'm a bit of a broken record on this one um, since unlimited plans were, were launched um, you know our focus is is to continue to do what I consider to be a very good job managing that, that decline. Uh, we don't try to force migrate customers, as you know. We obviously have unlimited plans, and they're being chosen by customers, but it's the customer's choice. Frankly, it's not optimal financially to force migrate customers, so we're not going to do it. It's all about good subscriber base management, and that's going to continue. So, yes, overs decline uh, continues to be a headwind, and we continue to manage it, and that rate of decline actually improved in Q3 over Q2. I'll stop there, and then, Glenn, you can fill in the blanks.
3: Thanks, Merkel. Yeah, I'll add a little more color. As Mirko said, we did have a three percent improvement in sequential quarters, albeit we continue to be down year over year. But if you look at the the uh, the fact of the. Pres- the uh, decline year over year. 80% of the decline year over year is driven by the roaming and data overage revenue that we've spoken about. The other 20% is is mainly driven by a higher prepaid mix. If I uh, if I peel the onion a little further, as I mentioned in my my previous remarks, roaming revenue is still down uh, virtually 70%. With uh, and and to put that in absolute terms, we were down about 60 million dollars in Q2. And we're down 58 million in Q3, so virtually no change. And Mirko just said it, and I've said it a few times. Uh, Unfortunately, we believe that uh, global travel restrictions are likely to remain in place for some time, and I I don't see a complete rebound in in global or or domestic roaming to occur in the the coming quarters. So I think for the foreseeable future, this remains remains a challenge. Thank you, David. Thanks, guys.
0: Thank you. The next question is from Richard Cho from JP Morgan. Please go ahead.
2: Hi, just wanted to um, get an update on your transition to unlimited and what do you expect um, going into the holiday season with the transition there? Are you still looking for a measured pace
1: um, or is this an opportunity to kind of um, maybe do a higher uptake rate on the unlimited plans?
2: Yeah, like I, um, like in, in response to, to David, we, um, we're we continuing to manage the overage decline and the pace of that decline, and we're not going to force migrate customers, but unlimited plans are here to stay. They are delivering uh, significant value to customers, and customers are going to be choosing those plans, so that's going to continue, but we're going to manage that decline. Um, and uh, just like we have since the beginning, since mid uh mid summer two thousand nineteen.
5: And as a follow up in terms of promotions for the fourth quarter, should we expect um, margins to be down your year in wireless? Um, or is that something that you're not you don't plan on being
2: too aggressive about? Oh uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be competitive at all times and you know we'll see how how intense promotional activity is going to be uh, for Black Friday and, and the holiday season. Um, but like I, I also mentioned in response to my question to, to Jeff, um uh, going to be competitive. We're going to focus on high-quality smartphone loadings. I think we all need to do a better job in the industry at, uh, at uh, keeping a check on, on subsidies, particularly as we've disaggregated the, the handset costs from the, from the rate plan.
5: Great, thank you.
0: Thank you. The next question is from Aravinder Galapatige from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead.
5: Good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, first, on uh, on the enterprise side, and I guess B two B generally. Um, thanks for the color on uh, on how Q three is trending. Any sign of uh, improvement as we kind of step into Q four and look beyond that, or do you kind of expect it to be? Uh, instead of a, maybe a period of flatness or maybe even further decline before recovery recovering 2021. Um, and then as a follow-up, uh, with respect to the comments on free cash flow uh, for Q4 and for the full year, um, I was wondering if you can just talk to the tailwinds that you expect to receive from lower handset costs when you look at it from full year basis. how um, will they get there, thank you.
2: Okay, so uh, I'll answer the first one, Glenn. Uh, you, you'll take the second one. So, on looking looking ahead to, to Q4, um, just generally, or whether it's in the enterprise segment, I'll start with a couple of, a couple of comments. I think I, I'm expecting continued momentum in Q4, but whether we see the same pace of sequential improvement Q4 compared to Q3 as we did Q3 compared to Q2 remains to be seen. Because we are, I mean, just the environment we're in, right? We're, we're clearly in the midst of a second wave across the country, and the uh, winter months are. Soon upon us, so it's hard to predict uh, what what the future holds. And you know, I made or already made a couple of comments about you know Black Friday and the holiday season. It, it's it's hard to know what's going to uh, what's going to happen, particularly compared to to prior years. But you know, be that as it may, I think our competitiveness isn't isn't in question. We have the best networks, we have the best products and services, and we have consistent execution. So. The, the pace of improvements gonna, in Q4 is going to be a function of, of the COVID impacts on the economy generally, and those impacts uh, will be industry industry wide. Now, on the you mentioned enterprise, and uh, the enterprise segment that continues to be. I mean, my commentary on that is very similar to, to my Q2 commentary. You know, in Q2 we had a bump in connectivity in the enterprise segment. I mean that that that's slow but it's been consistent. The connectivity's been been consistent. Some projects, you know, professional services, managed services projects have, have been delayed. That's what I also said in in Q2, but I'm really pleased with uh, the performance in wireline generally and that includes being pleased with the with our performance in the enterprise segment. And we do serve the largest Canadian corporations, the largest, you know, the most stable Canadian corporations. So you know that that's also a, our stability is also a function of the stability of our enterprise customer base. Glenn?
3: Thanks, Marco. Yeah, free cash flow and the and the comments I made earlier on the headwinds that that we're facing with free cash flow in the coming quarter. You know we expect it to be an an aggressive quarter on sales, so obviously that's going to impact AR. Now just a reminder, our free cash flow includes everything. What I mean by that is it includes working capital. So as we ramp up on purchases of inventory, it is going to have a negative effect on free cash flow. As we see sales accelerate and therefore an increase in AR, it's going to have an impact. I also mentioned that I expect a ramp up in capital expenditure as we are very, very focused on our network builds, our network deployment. So I I see that uh, as being a drag on cash flow. Income tax payments, we enjoyed a deferral on, on many of the tax payments that the, the government offered relief on a deferral relief, and those are all starting to to boomerang as we look in the second half of the year to be catching up on those. As far as handsets go, you mentioned lower handsets. I, you know, with the new devices launching, the the cost of the handsets actually higher. So. From a free cash flow drag, you know, as I said, it's many, many items. It's the cost of the handset. It's the, it's the sales activity, increase in inventory, capex and tax. But all of it very, very manageable, and uh, I see no worries. Focus remains on liquidity, as I said. Thank
0: you. Thank you. The next question is from Simon Flannery from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead.
8: Great. Um, Glenn, thank you. Just following up on the balance sheet, if I could, uh, you've uh, talked about uh, refinancing, taking lower rates, uh, terming out your maturities. How are you now thinking about uh, your overall leverage targets over the medium term? You've obviously just monetized your data centers, but there's spectrum auctions coming up next year. You know, you. know, I think in the past you've talked two to two and a half times. You're a little bit above that right now. What's the the right way to think about you know, uh, uh, longer term goals in this environment.
3: Morning Simon, as I said in my opening remarks that I, did not, I do not see a material change in our leverage for the foreseeable future. We do have multiple spectrum auctions in front of us, absolutely paramount that we participate and, and as, you, as you know, will participate. Incredibly important spectrum coming available. We did just divest at the data center and that certainly gives us additional cash to invest in the business, including investment in spectrum. Uh, I do not see a material change. The public policy of 2.5 times, we're above that, have been for some time. It's very hard to see uh, an aggressive uh, repayment of debt in the the interest rate environment that's at an all-time low. So I think a a prudent, responsible approach to to our balance sheet is to – to stay generally in the you know the uh, leverage vicinity we are now with uh, with respecting the the current credit rating that we have, so in other words, not taking actions that jeopardize that, but I'm not in a rush to uh, to reduce it either. I think the most important thing for us is to have the liquidity and the balance sheet strength to ensure that these spectrum auctions are very successful for BCE
8: great, and just a quick follow up on you know the the iPhone cycle we've seen. Um, you know, some uh, U.S. carriers talk about a good start to the uh, iPhone sales process, and, and there's some talk about maybe a super cycle that people have been holding onto their handsets for longer than normal. Uh, how are you thinking, irrespective of the competitive environment, but just the, is there a pent-up demand to get a new phone here, and we might see a bigger than normal cycle over the next six months?
2: Oh, it's hard. It's hard to tell. I mean, I so far so good on uh, on on 5G and on and on iPhone and. Uh, I think you know Black Friday, the holiday season will uh, will be more uh, more indicative, and we'll see what that brings. And then, you know, as we look into next year, and when we have got the 3500 megahertz spectrum, and we're into true uh, 5G, um, I mean, I think there's going to be a, a pickup in activity at that point in time, and then we'll have new applications and services. Uh, being delivered to uh, to consumers, but so far so good. We're used to this. We've been through these cycles before: 2G to 3G to 4G, et cetera. Um, but we like where we uh, we like where we where we sit today, both in terms of the competitiveness of our networks, uh, how 5G is doing so far, and and iPhone sales have been just fine.
8: Thank you.
0: Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. Back over to you, Mr. Fotopoulos.
1: Great. Thanks, Donna. So thank you again to everybody for their participation on the call this morning. As always, I'm available for follow-up questions and clarifications throughout the day. So with that, have a great day and take care of yourselves and stay safe. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please Please disconnect your lines at this time. And thank you for your participation.